if you're tuning in now, welcome to Out of the Rut Podcast. Uh, I am joined today by my guest and friend, uh, Justin Kelly, coming to coming to you from the uh, great state of Missouri, as uh, the people from Missouri <laughs> like to call it. My my grandparents are from southeast Kansas, Missouri area, so and every time my grandpa says something, it's Missouri, <laughs> misery or whatever us Midwesterners call it. So welcome aboard, Justin. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Cool. Awesome. So um, if, you're, uh, if you're tuning into this, we will get to Justin in just one second, but I want to insert a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Defender Gear Custom Apparel. By wearing Defender Gear Apparel, you can rep your American heritage every day. You take action to defend and utilize your God-given gifts of freedom. Now it's time to show it. If you wake up every morning and yell, I hate communism, this is probably the brand for you. Click the link in the description to receive 10% off your first order. Every single one of the shirts, hoodies, hats, and more would be a perfect Christmas gift for that freedom-loving friend, relative, or spouse of yours. Again, click the link in the description to receive 10% off your order. Now, back to the show. Tell me a little bit about your, your background. So I know I knew you from high school, but you've gone on to much bigger and better things since that. So give me a little bit about where you came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you kind of want me to start at the beginning. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, childhood, because I guess that's probably I guess, the story. That yeah, it gives good context. It gives really yeah, good context. Yeah. So, um, and this is something I'm proud of. I was actually talking about this last night, I think it was. Um, so, you know, you and I obviously were from the same town. Um, didn't know each other probably until, you know, I don't know, eighth, ninth grade, yep. you know, high school era yep. time. Um, I knew your cousin but, a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but uh, so I started off, I, I grew up in a trailer park, actually. Um, do you So you remember the Sportsplex? Yep. Yeah, so the Sportsplex is a hockey rink that we played mm-hmm. at. Um, and so I live behind the Sportsplex. K Meyer, right? Yeah, yeah, K Meyer mm-hmm. subdivision, exactly. Yeah. So I grew up in there, you know, an actual trailer, not even a module home. They were trailers that I mm-hmm. lived in. Um, and I lived with my, my uh, stepmother and my father at the time. Um, and then I guess my stepbrother too. Um, but yeah, majority of my life, I grew up in a trailer. And obviously, you know, you remember K Meyer, it wasn't, it was a trailer park. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It wasn't, Clearly not a r- nice place to be. Yep. Um, you know, I, I guess I was young enough that I don't know or didn't realize if there mm-hmm. was any drug stuff going on. I'm sure there were some drugs in that. For town. sure. Just to provide a little bit of context, when I was when I was in second grade, I was homeschooled, and my and if I if I had a bad attitude about doing school, my dad would drive me through that subdivision and said, "If you don't do good in school, you're going to live here someday." <laughs> so <laughs> just is, some just some context. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I, I didn't know that, and that is. Uh, embarrassing and funny at the same time. <laughs> I was in that place. So, yeah. You know, I was probably doing my homework in my little trailer bedroom while you were doing it. I didn't want to be like them. Uh, and look but, at where we're at today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, something worked so, out. Yeah. Uh, he's right. You know, people there, obviously, uh, not a lot of education, which, you know, uh, formal education isn't necessarily always needed, but, um, you know, they weren't doing anything either. Right. You know, outside of school, you know, they're. Yep you know, probably selling drugs, working at fast food places. And, you know, when you're living in a trailer park, you're probably not doing that great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up there and I remember, again, this is something I talked about recently. I remember as a child, like I was a young kid, you know, and, and all my friends had money, you know, um, you know, one of my best friends, his dad was a urologist. Um, most of them lived over in Crestwood, like mm-hmm. they had money. So all my friends had money. So I would go to their houses and see what they had, the clothes they had, you know, back then we all wanted Hollister and Abercrombie and, yep. you know, American, all those clothes. Yeah, yeah. I and, uh, remember so that. I remember like not being able to afford that stuff for a long time. Yeah. My parents would give me like two hundred dollars, and they're like, "Here's two hundred dollars. You can buy whatever school clothes you want with that school supplies. And that's what you get for the year." So that meant I maybe got one pair of shoes a year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then whatever else I could afford as far as clothing, if I wanted to have a crombie or house or something like that, it, it was like, you know, two pair of pants and a shirt and then my money's gone. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have, you know, the nicest clothes for a while. And then, I mean, I remember even, you know, David Clement. Yeah, I do. I, I knew him. Uh, I met him at Kirtland College, actually, when I went there. Yeah. The other school I dropped well, uh, out of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, David was like one of my friends. We played hockey together and he, he lived over, over in Crestwood and uh, good guy. And I remember like his parents dropped off a bag of like hand-me-down clothes from him, just straight up, you know, hand-me-downs from him one yeah. time. And I was so excited um, because it was all Abercrombie and, you know, Hollister and all yeah. that stuff that I could barely afford. And I got like two garbage bags dropped off. And mm-hmm. um, it was it was a cool moment for me because I couldn't afford much of that myself. Wow. I never would have known that. I never would have known that. I don't think I've ever admitted that out loud to anyone. No kidding. Uh, but it's coming up now. So, but yeah, I mean, I didn't have a ton of money. My parents, we, you know, we worked or they worked, uh, uh, you know, paycheck to paycheck. There were times where, you know, peanut butter and jelly is like what we had, you know, hamburger helper. Like it, it we didn't have anything extravagant, get, didn't go out to eat other than fast food, like dollar menu from the Wendy's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, like I said, circling back, I remember dealing with like what I had to deal with. Um even at a young age, I remember I was like, when I have kids, I don't want them to go through this. Mm-hmm. I don't want my children to experience, um, you know, what I have, the, the instability when it comes to finances, the wondering if I can have the nice clothes or that, you know, wondering if I can afford to eat any good, like good food or anything like that. Um, and even, like I said, even at such a young age, I just remember thinking, I don't want my children to ever have to like deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as a, like a, and asterisks, you know, my parents didn't abuse me or hurt me. So like, you know, I didn't have a, sure. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't like abused or anything like that, but, um, yep. you know, as far as like money and living in a trailer park, it didn't have the best upbringing when it comes to yep. what was around me and material things and, you know, a nice house and stuff like that. So, um, but that was something that hit me when I was really young that I just never wanted to live that way when I got older and I didn't want to, you know, um, have that, have my children have to go through what I did, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, financial stability was something that I thought about as a really young child. So, um, and again, my parents didn't hurt me, but they never really pushed me either. Um, you know, and I'm not super close with them anymore. Right? I mean, I never really was, but they didn't like push me to do anything. They, they honestly just kind of let me live my life um, mm-hmm. or whatever it's worth, I guess. Uh, which is kind of surprising. I, I would have assumed they would have pushed me to do better or something. Um, but they just kind of let me live. And again, like I said, no hard feelings or anything like that, but they didn't motivate me or push me. Um, but like I said, my motivation was so that I wouldn't have my children have to deal with what I went through. Now, let me stop you right there real quick. So one thing that I've just noticed, and I'm, I'm no expert on this topic, but one thing that I noticed when, when parents with that parenting style, I mean, from my, from my perspective, you can learn from anybody. You can either learn what to do or what not to do. So it seems like from very young age, like you just, you're just like, this, this is not how I want to live. Like when, when I get out of here, I'm going to do something different. And that was like deeply ingrained with you. But I also have seen the other side of the fence where somebody grows up in an environment like that and they accept that for the way that it is. What do you, was there, was there any like one moment in time where you kind of like, you could you could have seen yourself going down either path or were you just always like it you would you had decided very early on at some point that you were going to be come become more than what you were at that point and you just bowled down that road i think i was uh pretty early on just intent on never living like that um 
you know, I, I don't remember a specific like epiphany or, you know, specific moment. Mm-hmm. I just remember from a very young age that I was like, I don't like the way I, that this is, you know, I don't like the way that I'm living mm-hmm. and I don't want to, I don't ever want to be this way when I'm older and I don't want my kids to be the same way, you know? And I think part of that probably was, um, I realized I was poor. I've heard some people and I've listened to a lot of stories where they're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was poor. I knew I was poor because like I said, my friends all had money. You know, mm-hmm. I would go to Crestwood and, you know, their parents had Cadillacs and, you know, I'd go to Blair Murphy's house and sit in the basement and we have a movie theater watching Borat. Yeah. And, you know, I see that stuff and I was like, fuck, like, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Like, yeah. I, I realized that there was no like deception. Like I knew what I was. I knew I was a quiet poor kid for a long time. And mm-hmm. then um, I kind of hit it well um, you for did. a while. Most people didn't know me for a long time. You know, I was kind of quiet up until about high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started playing sports and I was, you know, friends with all the athletes. So you n- kind of knew me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was definitely from a pretty young age. I just knew I never wanted to live like that when I got older. Interesting. Uh, it, I, it goes back to like what you said. You can you can always learn something, whether it's something useful that you can apply to your own life or you want to live like that person or you're like, I see that and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was pretty much I saw how my parents were and I did not want to live like that for my life. No, that's awesome. No, that's great. No, keep going. So you, uh, so you kind of got through high school and you, you, you were a pretty successful athlete. Your, your primary sport was hockey, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I was, uh, yeah, I played, uh, varsity hockey for, I think three years. Um, started off, I actually tried out with a broken arm cause I broke my arm really badly playing hockey. Okay. So I tried out with a broken arm and then finished my last game of my senior year by tearing my ACL. Oh, fun. Um, I've done that. Like, it uh, sucks. Yeah. It's <laughs> Never been the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was probably a blessing in disguise, though, um, because when I was in high school, I mean, all throughout uh, school, I was actually pretty smart. Um, most people didn't know it, especially when I became, you know, when I was a varsity athlete. Obviously, intelligence isn't associated with varsity. Right. Athlete. Yeah. Oh, you're the meathead on the hockey team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no one, you know, no one expected that I was that smart. But I actually had over a four point in high school because I took one or two. Uh, um, I don't know what they were called. It was like college classes. Mm-hmm. You could earn like a college credit when you were yeah. in high school. school. So technically I had over a four point when I graduated oh, cool. um, or my senior year. I'm sorry. I, I graduated with honors, but um, my senior year, I had over a four point. Okay. Um, so a lot of, like I said, a lot of people didn't realize I was kind of intelligent. And so um, I didn't have to try though. Like I did my homework, I took the tests, but I didn't spend a lot of time studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got the MSU, um, Things you know, changed. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it changed real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say I never failed a class at MSU, but I got scared. I was close. Yep. So I had to learn how to study my uh, you know, freshman year, first semester, because I got kind of slapped with homework and how hard things were there. Um, and then the, uh, my it would have been my second semester there. I transferred um, to the pre-med program. And I just kicked it up another notch as far as intensity and, you know, how much I had to work and study. So I learned really quick that I had to study hard. So yeah. when you, know, you went I'm, into the, when you went into the pre-med program, were you set on chiropractic or were your options open at that point? No, actually at that point, my options were pretty open. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. Um, I just knew that I wanted to get into the medical field to help people. Um, and it kind of took a while. Like, to be honest, I don't, I'm not great at planning ahead. Um, you know, I have vague plans, but you know, for most of my collegiate, um, you know, experience or whatever, I didn't know exactly where I was going to go. I kind of was drifting towards, you know, becoming an MD, just a typical doctor. Um, and it was kind of near probably junior or senior year when I started seeing a chiropractor more regularly and, uh, decided that was kind of the path I wanted to go down. I, uh, 
you know, I was getting ready to actually study for the MCAT um, near the end of my senior year and, uh, you know, kind of preparing for med school. And that's when I started shadowing doctors. I shadowed uh, DCs, Mm -hmm. uh, DOs, MDs, and PAs. Um, So I kind of shadowed quite a few people in, you know, slightly different professions in the medical profession. And uh, that was when I kind of realized I didn't want to go the MD route. Why? Um, So I think for the most part, a lot of MDs just push drugs. Um, And I will say, I don't want to disrespect any medical doctors, any doctors of osteopathy, anyone like that. Um, because there's a time and a place mm-hmm. for all, for sure. medicine, yep. including MDDO, you know, physical therapist, DCs, there's a time and a place for all of us. And we all have our special, um, you know, our area of expertise. You know, when you come to me, I'm a musculoskeletal specialist. I work with, um, your spine, your nervous system. That's my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you come to me and you have cancer, I can't adjust cancer. <laughs> you can't adjust cancer. You come to me and you know, I take a look at your neck and I think you have a broken vertebra. I'm going to send you to for an x-ray. I'm going right. to send you for an x-ray. So I, I pride myself on working well with other professions right. and knowing when and where, you know, when and where I can help, you know, do you There's feel that, do you fix chiropractic adjustment? Do you feel that other areas of medicine give you the same, res- same level of respect? No, no, I don't think not. so. I didn't think so. Yeah, definitely not. I think it's getting better. I, I agree. Better, um, if you look, you know, far back 20, 30, 40 years, um, you know, I, I still have people tell me that I'm not a real doctor. Um, it's only about internet people. No one said it to my face. Right. But, yeah. Uh, they, they take a look at you and see how freaking stacked you are. They're not saying <laughs> shit to you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. People are a little quiet. Tonight, right. but, um, people, they're a little tougher online. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, I have had a couple people tell me I'm not a real doctor or, you know, something along those lines. And, uh, um, you know, I think, oh, especially now as times progress, there's more and more science and data coming out to support the use of chiropractic care. Um, and people are definitely becoming more open to it. I see, um, I have several patients that are nurses, um, occupational therapists, um, doctors, stuff like that. So I see a lot of people in the medical profession that do, you know, medical world that do come and see me and do trust me. Um, you know, I've had patients, she's a nurse, she's gone through, um, everything but surgery, you know, painkillers, drugs, injections in her shoulders, um, physical therapy, she's gone to everything for years and she never got any release or, you know, relief for her injuries until she came and seen me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I pride myself on that, but yeah, there's definitely, um, not everybody is as receptive to chiropractic care. Um, I have had a couple people tell me, you know, patients tell me that they're like, Oh, well, my doctor told me to absolutely not to see a chiropractor or not to see this. And, you know, like I said, I think time over time, it'll slowly get better. Like it has been slowly getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, uh, I don't know, part of the game, I guess, for now. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was always something that I thought was a little bit bizarre because you um, have a very similar um, educational experience to somebody that's going through medical school. And um, correct, I don't, I don't know much about the process, but you do your your undergrad, and then you do you have to go to it, medical school of some sort. Is that correct, or what, what does that process look like? Yeah. Yeah. So that was perfect. That's actually uh, what I was going to kind of talk about too. Um, Yeah. So the schooling between like an MD and a DC are extremely similar. Okay. On a broad view, um, we have very, very similar hours in the same exact classes, especially at the beginning of a DC schooling and med school schooling. Um, Very intense on anatomy, physiology, um, biology, uh, neuroanatomy, 
uh, all that kind of stuff. The human body, we mm-hmm. learned that stuff really well, both, both professions. Um, then near the end of schooling for a DC, we start to um, focus on obviously adjusting um, and then clinical practices, orthopedic tests, stuff like that. We do take um, pharmacology, toxicology. Uh, we take several classes on internal medicine. Um, we, we do EENT, which is ears, eyes, nose, and throat. So we go over all that kind of stuff, looking for different, um, you know, illnesses, you know, like conjunctivitis or influenza. Uh, so we, I mean, we talk about all the same things that medical doctors do. The end is just kind of, you know, near the end of our schooling, they focus a little bit more on medical, um, you know, drugs and stuff like that. Whereas we focus more on holistic adjustments and what mm. we can do to help without drugs. Holistic. That's a cuss word in a lot of uh, medical yeah. circles, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is bizarre to me. Like I, the lack of open-mindedness that I feel surrounds some of that, it, it's, it's bizarre. Like I understand like some, some of it may come across as, you know, oh, there's a bunch of hippies or whatever. But if you actually take the time to listen to some people like a naturopath or something along those lines, it's like yeah, a lot of, a lot of this kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. So anyway, yeah. um, let me ask you that. And this is, this is off. I'm, this is a complete non sequitur, but what do you know about vertigo? Do you know much about it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the most common is typically called BPPV, um, BPPV, uh, benign positional proximal vertigo. Okay. Um, that's one of the, I actually, I see a couple of patients that do have that. So typically, I mean, like I said, there's a couple of causes. The the benign, um, positional one is the most common one that I've seen. And I think the most common just kind of in general, Mm -hmm. um, but vertigo just kind of happens when, uh, you know, so there's, there's ears in your tubes yep. and there's certain things in there called like otoliths. It's basically like little crystals or rocks and they're kind of in the fluid in the canals in your ear. Mm-hmm. And so as you turn and move your head, the fluid and those otoliths kind of move mm-hmm. and that sends signals to your brain. And that tells you where you are in like time and space. And so that's part of the reason why, um, you know, you can turn your head and walk and talk and look at other things, but you still kind of know where your feet are underneath you. You don't get dizzy just turning your head mm-hmm. when you're you know, healthy and everything's working normally. Um, but what happens with the, the benign positional one is, you know, quick changes in, in position or movement. Um, there's a disconnect, you know, either those crystals in your head have kind of disconnected or moved away from where they're supposed to be within those canals. Um, and so when you, you know, do a quick movement, roll over in bed or turn your head, your brain doesn't like get the signal correctly, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you get dizzy, or, you know, your, your body doesn't fully know where it is basically in time and space. Um, and that's like one of the most common kind of ones that goes around. Um, you know, obviously other, you know, injuries and stuff like that mm-hmm. had traumas can concussions could potentially exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is because I had a really nasty case of it about six weeks ago and I was, I was curious to see your explanation of it versus my, uh, doctor, I guess it was an MP that I saw, but, um, but yeah, they basically, they just gave me some, uh, anti-vert and some, uh, what's the nausea medication, uh, that nah, escapes me anyway. Um, and said, good luck. <laughs> they recommended me go to like physical therapy or something like that. And I ended up not doing it, but every now and again, I just get about a dizziness and it, and it's mind boggling. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know where it came from. So, <laughs> um, if I would, are you still, where do you live right now? I live in Grand Rapids. Oh, okay. You know, it, it doesn't sound like it's affecting you too much right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but something you can do is called the Epley, uh, Epley maneuver. Okay. Um, is that the one where you kind of tilt sideways and lay back fast or whatever? Okay. Gotcha. Good to know. All right. I got a free, uh, teledoc visit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was wondering if you were asking because you had that experience. Yeah, that yeah, that's exactly what happened. I was I was just curious to see if your answer was any different from the MD, and it was it was the exact same thing. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, I and this is another just random question that I have. I I would consider myself a crack addict. I, I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with the term, but. Yeah. Um, like what do you think the the like the Bow High Towers and the the Dr. Greg Johnsons of the world the YouTube uh, chiropractic uh, personalities uh, do you do you think they help or hurt what you guys do and uh, w- what are, what are your thoughts on it because I see you adjusting on social media and stuff all the time too which is really cool what what do you think yeah. those guys are are doing for your practice right now is one okay so is one of those guys that does the adjustment where he puts a towel under their neck and yanks the ring dinger yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, what what do you know. what do you feel about that? So, I never do that move myself. Okay. Um, you don't adjust on the y axis or whatever. That's what he that's what he calls it. I believe. Yeah, I, I typically do not. I okay. do apply cervical distraction, which is you know what he does without a violent jerk. You know. Okay. Most of the time, you know, especially it depends on the patient. But I apply cervical distraction, literally just pulling their head away from their body. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I do it uh, post adjustment while they're laying flat on their back. Um, it takes pressure off the discs, takes pressure off the bones and mm-hmm. uh, the vertebra of the spine, yep. uh, which is good for you. It feels good most of the time. Um, but, uh, the, the adjustments that those YouTube guys do, um, honestly, they probably hurt more than they help. Really? Um, and that's, and that's not, they hurt, I guess, the credibility of the profession okay. more than they help in my opinion. And that is uh, not an insult to either of them. Um, those type of videos, and especially that that ring dinger type adjustment, mm-hmm. probably appeals to people who are, you know, like you said, crack addicts. Yeah. They love to do that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it probably would draw more negative attention than good. Okay. Because it's such a, a violent and, uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a I'm trying to I'm running out of words to describe. It. It's it's a crazy adjustment. It yeah. looks crazy. It does. It does for sure. It looks crazy. It sounds insane. It's like, it's scary kind of. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think anybody that is untrained or, you know, slightly ignorant to how chiropractic care works is going to see that and be like, holy shit, like that looks dangerous. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, you know, one of the major, this isn't a big problem for me, but out of all my patients, if they're afraid of something, it's the neck. Reasonably so. Well, people don't like having their hand, their head and neck in someone else's hands and being relaxed and let someone control them For or sure. like twist and turn it. Um, I've had very, pe- very, very few people ever have any problem, especially if I, I always address it, especially with a new patient. I ask if they have any concerns. I, I, I explain everything I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Uh, I also kind of show them the setup and how it'll look and feel before I do it, mm-hmm. just to give them like a full preview. Um, and I, I've had very good success in you know making sure everyone felt safe allowed me to do it and you know afterwards they were they felt much safer and never had problems um but when you look at that that's a much more aggressive adjustment than a mm-hmm. typical cervical adjustment that i perform yeah um, and i just think that people who don't know much are probably going to be a little nervous or scared after seeing that sure. um, and you know a- again it's not to say that those doctors are doing anything wrong um and it's not to say that that adjustment can't be beneficial or useful in some cases mm-hmm. um, but it always goes by a case-by-case basis depends on what the patient presents with yeah well, it seems like with him, he that that's a uh, that's par for the course. I mean, that's that's standard operating procedure for him. Every every patient that comes in is getting that that maneuver done, 
And yeah. I thought that, and the maneuver itself, like I, I understand his, it, I from a from a layman's perspective, somebody who's not an expert or in your field or anything, it made sense to me from a standpoint of okay, you're walking around your entire life, and, and there's this effect called gravity. You may have heard of it, and through time, <laughs> like you know, your vertebrae can compress and cause all sorts of different pain on your discs and stuff like that. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So when you pull up on it in a in a in a violent fashion, as long as it's being done in a safe controlled manner and the guy knows what he's doing to me that makes sense to decompress the spine yeah um in order for that maneuver to work but that is that is kind of interesting hearing your hearing your thoughts on it because i and i don't it's hard for me to wrap my head around a one adjustment fits all mentality though that that seemed to be your issue with it among a couple other things yeah i was gonna say um like i said there's nothing inherently wrong with the adjustment um, and, uh, I think it just kind of looks scary. Some people just <laughs> yeah. get, they don't, they're like, Oh, that's, that's voodoo or that's insane. Or that's yeah. going to rip someone's head off. Um, but yeah, I, what you said, as far as a, a one adjustment fits all, um, a lot of adjustments are very versatile. A lot of people can and do receive very similar adjustments, but at the same time, everybody's different. Um, everybody, their body is different. Their conditions are different. Their history is different. Their presentation, everything's different. So, you know, when I adjust somebody, you know, the first thing I obviously do take a full history, um, especially if it's a new patient, I go over everything between what their actual problem or complaint is down to prior medical history, injuries, illnesses, surgeries. Um, and I go into, you know, are you on any medications? Do you have any, you know, conditions right now? Um, I go the whole nine yards basically. And then, I do range of motion stuff. Then I do orthopedic testing. Then I take their vitals depending on what's going on. Then I take, uh, you know, a neurological assessment depending on what's going on, um, if necessary. And then I do orthopedic tests. And then I tell them what I think is going on and what I want to do. And then when I actually go to adjust, I, you know, I feel things. I start with the low back and the hips. Um, I feel their SI joints. I feel their low lumbar spine. I move to their thoracic spine and I move to the neck and I'm feeling individual vertebra. I'm feeling how it moves kind of that as a unit. Um, same thing with the neck. I'm feeling the joints on either side of the neck as I start from the base and go up to the you know, the top of the um, top of the cervical spine, and then I adjust based on their conditions, what they've told me, where their pain is, what I feel. Um, so at the end of the day, like everybody gets an adjustment based on how they feel that day, you know. And and sometimes, obviously, the same patient is different from visit to visit, you know. Hopefully the low back is hurting less or not at all by the time they come see me the next time. Right. Cause it's when working. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's my favorite thing. When people come in, they're like, I feel pretty good today. Like nothing's really wrong. I'm like, perfect. You good. know, we'll kind of go through an adjustment, we'll work on some of the things we worked on before, if it still seems like it's necessary and then you'll get out the door and I'll, you know, we'll see you in a couple more weeks or something. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I take a very individualized approach as I think any, honestly, any medical professional should, mm-hmm. um, of course, lots of things apply to many people. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, a lot of the time I adjust most patients, you know, in three areas, lumbar spine slash SI joints, mm-hmm. thoracic and cervical, Yep. the actual levels, directions, type of adjustment, it changes from patient to patient mm-hmm. and it even changes from the same patient, you know, like I said, from visit to visit. So, um, that in, individualized care is huge. I think honestly, regardless of what profession you're in. Absolutely. Well, there's no one size fits all. And I think, the biggest difference that I think chiropractic and traditional medical are going is that I think medical is trying to find a one size fits all and chiropractic is still, um, a lot more unique on a per patient basis. Again, this is a, from an uneducated opinion, but opinion nonetheless. 
agree. And I think that, that that's the way it should continue, hopefully. Yeah. So um, question for you. So I am, and and this I, this is just a habit that I have all the time. I, I crack my knuckles all the time. When I wake up in the morning, I I, I kind of do the thing where you twist in your chair and you crack your lower, the, um, the what, what are the lower ones? The lower, um, yeah, your lumbar l- the lum- lumbars. And then, um, and then one thing that I do, and I, 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 I don't know how I figured this out, but I figured out like if I hug myself and then lay back on a hard floor, I get on my upper thoracics. Is, is self-adjusting, yeah. is, is that something that I shouldn't be doing? Is it, highly unadvisable is it kind of not really matter what are your thoughts on that so it's uh not the best okay uh, as far as cracking your knuckles not really a big deal um it's kind of been disproven that you're going to get arthritis or anything so first of all um the actual crack or the pop that you hear is actually just nitrogen gas bubbles within the fluid in the joints bursting mm-hmm. uh so you hear that pop and that's why when you crack your knuckles or something it takes a few minutes before you can crack them again it, yep. it takes time for those bubbles to reform so that's mm-hmm. what the noise is um, when it comes to like, you know, self-adjustments of lumbar spine or thoracic, um, it, it's not advisable. It's not going to kill you. You're, you're not going to paralyze yourself. Um, but the thing is, you know, like I just mentioned, when I, when I go through and adjust, I have a whole list of things I do, um, between the history, the pain, the problem, you know, feeling how a joint moves, feeling the joint and the bones themselves, feeling their position relative to one another within the spine. So I have a whole kind of list of things I do to determine when um, when and where to adjust or when not to adjust, um, and how I'm going to adjust based on direction, uh, you know, force my hand contact on the body that, you know, where I contact the body, uh, the spine or so. Um, so there's a whole list of things I do and that's to make sure that, you know, what I do is kind of, I guide bones back to where they should be or guide joints back to where they should be. Um, and when I say, you know, kind of put them back in place, they're not dislocated centimeters or even inches out of place. It's millimeters and just tiny, tiny differences. Um, so, but anyways, you know, I do all that so that I can give a specific adjustment so I can, like I said, to put it in layman terms, kind of put the bone back in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if a vertebra is to your left and that's causing you problems and you just crack it by pushing it more left, that's Mm -hmm. not going to help. Yeah. You got to crack it and put it more right. Kind of back where it's supposed to be, you know? Um, so I do all that to, like I said, make sure I know where it is and where it needs to go in my adjustments based on that. So, um, like I said, it's, it's not going to kill you. It's not the end of the world, but if you're, you know, self-adjusting or cracking things, you might be making it worse because you might not, you're not putting it in the right direction. You're just cracking stuff. Interesting. You, you don't know exactly what you're doing. So, um, not advisable, but like I said, not the end of the world. Um, it better, better to have someone, you know, kind of take a look at it for you. So I need to take a tri- trip to St. Louis is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. How'd you end up in St. Louis, by the way? Um, so I, uh, there's probably, uh, I don't know, 15 to 20 chiropractic schools in the U S somewhere around there. Um, and so I looked at a few when I was, you know, when I was close to graduation at Michigan state. I ended up coming down to visit uh, Logan University here in St. Louis, and I, I loved it. So I ended up coming here. Um, and then when I graduated, I uh, just stayed here. Okay. That's cool. I've been stuck here ever since. I've uh, I've gone up in the arch several times. I rem- like <laughs> in my my childhood consisted of long road trips to uh, I, I'm my my folks used to live in Joplin or my grandparents, and then oh, okay. um, way on the the I guess southwest side of Missouri, Missouri, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> And uh, now they live in Pittsburgh, Kansas, which is just on the other side of the border. And uh, okay, yeah, it's about you. a 12 hour trip from Grand Rapids. So, yeah. But well, cool. Shoot, I've been here. 
five years and I've never been in the arch. <laughs> really? Not interested or? Um, I don't know. For the first few years, I was just focused on school. Mm-hmm. So all of the St. Louis things like the Budweiser, you know, Anheuser-Busch is here, the, mm-hmm. the distillery. Yeah. Not brewery. Um, Pretty good baseball you know, team arch. too. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, okay. It was actually, I think uh, when I graduated from Logan was the first time I went to the arch and then went to Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was like had family come for graduation, so it was like something to do. I hadn't even seen it myself. Okay, um, Arch was closed. Um, I don't know, probably due to weather or something when I went, so I didn't even get to go inside. It. Oh, gotcha. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, um, well, let's shift gears to this real quick. Um, so you got started into bodybuilding. You've always been an athlete, but you. Yeah. At some point, you you definitely switched gears. Uh, what was that whole process like? From going from when I when I knew you in high school, you were you were I guess fair, fairly athletic, but you you were not big at all. You you were not a big guy. You're freaking huge now. Forty pounds. Yeah, hundred forty pounds soaking wet. Like, <laughs> um, but now you're you're doing bodybuilding and powerlifting and all that crazy stuff. So how how'd you how'd you get where you're at? So, uh, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I tore my ACL the last game of my senior year playing hockey. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the turning point. Um, I had always worked out before then, you know, off season, you know, hockey training and running and, you know, plyos and, you know, everything you do for functional sports workouts. Um, and then, you know, working out with the boys in the summer and stuff like yep. that. Um, probably a lot of bench and curls probably. Yep. Good times. Um, yeah. Um, but then, so when I tore my ACL, I couldn't skate for a long time. So I just started working out, you know, normal bodybuilder style. Yep. Um, went to Michigan state, had that unlimited, you know, freshman meal plan. I just ate everything in sight, ate all the protein, ate a lot of bush lattes and just worked out like a crackhead. Nice. Um, and that's like exactly what started, you know, I didn't have any like uh, competitive outlet anymore, not playing competitive sports. And, uh, you know, all I was doing was studying. So that was like my outlet, you know, I, I just focused in on working out and that so was, so you go of- from competing against others to competing against yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then that just kind of took off. Uh, I started, I, I realized my sophomore year, cause I, I got up to almost 200 pounds my sophomore year, which, you know, was a lot, a lot more than, like I said, I was 140, 150 my senior year of high school. So I gained some size, but I definitely gained some fat. And I remember looking at myself and I'm like, shit, I'm getting a little chubby here. Like, yep. I don't, you know, I don't have abs. Like that doesn't look good. Yep. So then I started, you know, getting obsessive about researching nutrition and how to eat better. Gotcha. So, you know, just, you know, bodybuilder.com or bodybuilding.com, simply shredded, you know, all these different workout sites. I just read article after article um, about nutrition and protein and carbs and all that stuff and just started changing my diet and eating healthier. And I, uh, at the time I started like tracking like my macros, I got the, my fitness pal app. I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started tracking all my food. So I knew exactly what I ate when I ate it, all that stuff. Yep. And, and, you know, slowly lost weight and kind of started to get some abs and stuff like that. I was actually doing like P90X at home too. Um, going on bike rides, just kind of doing a little bit of everything. Um, but that was like where I started getting more serious as far as nutrition. Um, as before I was just eating everything and eating all the protein and pizza and whatever else I was whatever what so what did you do to kind of fix all that like to keep yourself on track um like I said I downloaded that app and kind of tracked everything um and I just did a lot of research you know healthy carbs healthy protein sources healthy fat and stuff like that and I just you know I ate ate 
it sounds boring and most people would hate it, but I ate the typical bodybuilder growth. Chicken and rice, rice, (laughs) oatmeal, you know, egg whites and protein shakes. And I just kept it super simple. And it was, you know, then I just messed around with how much protein I ate, how many carbs I ate, and just kind of over the years kind of figured out what worked best for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just, you know, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And obviously just working out the whole time. Um, and eventually things just got a little bit better and a little bit better um, until I finally like, you know, decided I kind of wanted to start competing actually, rather than just doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. So what is it competing? So you're, you're, have you done any competitions up to this point or are you working towards something? Yeah, I've done uh, four competitions now. Um, okay. My first one was in 2015. And what kind of competition is, are these uh, like uh, bodybuilding shows? What, what are going yeah, into a little detail on that? So a bodybuilding show is honestly like a pageant. You get up on stage without a shirt um, and you just kind of flex and pose and they choose who looks the best. So uh, there's different categories. Um, You know, some of them you you might have seen before where you wear like board shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's your classic bodybuilding where you're in a little bikini on stage. Yep. Um, And so there's... That's got to be terrifying. It's Yeah, it was a little weird the first time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely a little weird. (laughs) Um, okay. So funny story about that. So, um, the first competition in 2015, I did the board short route, which is okay. men's. so I was just wearing board shorts. It, it looked like I was at the beach, got yep. a fake tan, not as intimidating. Yep. Uh, and then in 2018, I decided to do classic physique, which is supposed to kind of replicate the sixties and seventies Arnold. Era. The Arnold. Yeah. And so for that, I wore, um, basically like briefs, you know, uh, you know, a couple inches of material mm-hmm. covering me up and, uh, kind of like like real tight boxer briefs or something mm-hmm. then uh a week before my next competition right after that i had two weeks in between them i decided to switch to open men's bodybuilding which is the full out bikini big guys like that's full out mm-hmm. um and so i didn't have a lot of time to get a custom suit made and i ordered one <laughs> offline and it was so last minute i had it shipped to the hotel that i was going to in indiana to compete at oh no so I walk into the hotel and when i walk in friday night i have to make weight so I walked to the front desk. I had to pick up my posing trunks that were delivered there, go put them on the bathroom, and then go weigh in. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a custom-made suit. It was my first one ever. I bought it offline, and it's, it's a man's bikini. Mm-hmm. I put it on, and it was a little small. <laughs> <laughs> if I did any lunges, like, we are going to have a wardrobe malfunction. So I was definitely nervous on stage uh, because, like I said, first time wearing a bikini. Yeah. First, and I got to do it on stage in front yeah. of people literally judging me. Mm-hmm. And so part of my routine, I went down into a lunging position. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was a little nervous. We were going to have a problem. Oh, you don't want anything Honestly, falling out. Everything was smooth, nothing fell out. There's no pictures <laughs> of, uh, you know, the boys hanging or anything. Like that. So I made it. But I, the next competition, I had four weeks. So I ordered a custom suit and had it fitted for me. Mm-hmm. A lot more comfortable. Yeah. A lot more secure. <laughs> <laughs> that is but, awesome. But yeah, uh, but yeah, so I've done four shows, like I said, one in 2015 and then the three uh, at the end of 2018. Um, and now I'm kind of settled in that open men's bodybuilding where you, where you have to wear a bikini. Okay. So what, so what, um, and I know you're also a f- uh, first form brand ambassador. Does that, that, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I met a lot of, a lot of bodybuilders in my life. I trained with a lot of them and I don't know of a single one that's not endorsed by first form or, um, uh, I can't even think of them. There, there's a, a dozen, but like what, what attracted you to first form and, and what, what does that look like for you? 
Um, trying to remember. So I started using first form actually, uh, back in high school sometime because we had some of the first form products at, uh, powerhouse. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah. There was a guy that was a chiropractor that was just like bringing yeah. bag loads of stuff in there. Yeah. And then, in, you know, the beginning of college, I was doing what most guys do in college, whatever's on sale and you can get, yeah. you know, bodybuilding.com specials, you know, uh, optimum nutrition, the gold standard, like, yeah. that stuff. And at one point I started using first form, um, probably in like 2012 or so. And I was like, Oh, this is some good stuff. And I started paying attention cause they kind of had some social media stuff going on and, uh, I liked what I saw and it, it seemed like a good culture and stuff like that. And then, you know, at that point I'm pretty much using nothing but first form. And I remember I was like, this, you know, I like this company a lot. I'd, it'd be cool to work for them or something within a day or two an ad popped up on like Instagram or Facebook. And it was like, we're accepting Legionnaires, which is like their independent sales rep program uh, in Michigan. I'm like, well, that's a sign from God. <laughs> I literally was just thinking that. So I applied, I did some interviews uh, made, you know, made the cut. And then, so from there on out, I've been a, a sales, um, you know, like an independent sales rep basically. Gotcha. Um, and so I, have done that I probably like six or, you know, I guess six or seven years. Gotcha. Um, and then I moved to St. Louis and, uh, uh, you know, just continued to promote Instagram, um, because, or, or promote, um, first form on Instagram because it was a company that I believed in. Uh, good quality products. And then uh, I, you know, I believed in the company's like morals and just character. Um, and so I, I got to really know a lot of the S2 guys, which is the store here that's owned by the same owner of first form um, and get to know some of the first form employees. And uh, I actually went into first form to start working on them as a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And when I went in um, somebody there named Cody Klein gave me a call and he's like, Hey, uh, when you're coming in, like, let's have a meeting. So I went and sat down with him and he's like, you know, we've, we paid attention to you. You've been here for years. You know, we've, we've paid a lot of attention to how you, uh, promote and, you know, uh, you know, do things on your Instagram and your platform. And like, we kind of want to reward you. And so he offered me, um, an athlete sponsorship. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I've been, um, I guess that was probably March of March of 19 when I got that. So I've been, you know, almost two years now being, uh, a, a local athlete for first form. Um, so I'm not, you know, the elite athlete, like some of the famous guys who have, you know, 50, 60, a hundred thousand followers, sure. but, um, I'm a sponsored athlete for them. That's um, outstanding. Yeah. So it was a pretty cool and it was nice to be like rewarded cause I've been doing it, you know, n- never with the expectation of earning that or trying to get that, but I just did it cause I believe in the company and the products. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you've seen my Instagram, I don't promote anything else. Yeah. No. I never really have. I don't promote, you know, I don't promote anything but first form bodybuilding and chiropractic you know I, I don't promote shit that i don't use yeah no that's that's a good philosophy to have that's for sure until you believe what believe in what you do that's important yeah the only thing that i ask anybody that comes on the show is that you share this with your circle of influence so social media yeah, plugs sure. are always always loved where can uh, where can people find you if uh, if somebody's in the st louis area and wants to get the get their back cracked get adjusted get a good uh, consultation or maybe uh um learn about first form stuff or whatever wh- where can where can people find you i mean honestly the best place is instagram okay um, I, i'm on instagram all day uh, i'm better at checking that than my emails to be honest and uh, i'm not giving out my personal number to everybody on the internet <laughs> that's a good uh, idea <laughs> yeah. um I already get weird calls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my Instagram is just uh, Dr. Justin Kelly, just Dr. Justin Kelly. Okay. Um, that's the quickest way. Um, and you can get a hold of me on that. You know, a DM or anything is, is totally fine. I get plenty of that for chiropractic stuff or, you know, nutrition or first form bodybuilding questions all the time. 
um, or about whatever I post, but that's probably the quickest and easiest way. Um, and like I said, that that's totally fine for any questions or even chiropractic stuff. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, that is a wrap for the first segment of the show. I want to thank Justin for coming on and talking a little bit about, uh, uh, your story, chiropractic, and all the fun stuff that comes with that. Um, if you haven't uh, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel, I invite you to do that right now. I uh, appreciate it as always, and uh, we will see you on the other side. Thank you very much.